there, Java junkies. It's Andrea. Before we start today's show, I have an exciting announcement to share with you. On April 17th, Time for Coffee is going to hold its first in-person live event. That's right. We're inviting you to join us in the audience for free. And we've got all kinds of cool swag to give away to the first 25 Java junkies who show up. So make sure to get there early. We're calling it Time for Coffee's Caffeinated Career Mini Summit. And it'll take place at the University of Maryland at 7 p.m. on April 17th. And for those of you in the area, we hope you'll join us at Maryland's College Park campus. Just go to timeforcoffee.org to get more information. Now, let's get on with the show. Hi there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's Time for Coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome to another episode of T4C. If you're wondering whether a journalism degree or political science degree is too narrowly focused to allow you to pivot away from journalism or politics or whatever early or even later in your career, the answer is Hell yes! In fact, that's exactly what my next guest did, who started out in journalism and then pivoted mid-career into another profession entirely. But before I introduce you to Beth Parker, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's our weekly newsletter that we send out on Monday mornings, giving you a sneak peek at the new episodes we're going to be dropping that week. Please head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four coffee.org and sign up. Now, my expressive espresso lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated brew because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my terrific next guest is Beth Parker, who is today the firm-wide external communications leader at PwC, also known as PricewaterhouseCoopers, one of the big four accounting firms that has offices in 158 countries and has more than 250,000 employees. It's among the leading professional services networks in the world, helping organizations and individuals to create the value they're looking for by delivering quality in assurance, tax, and advisory services. Just weeks after arriving at PwC in the summer of 2015, Beth co-led the external launch of the company's groundbreaking student loan paydown, a benefit in which the firm helps to pay down employees' student debt. It was the most successful public relations campaign in the firm's history. Before joining PwC, Beth was an award-winning journalist, having spent 17 years as a television journalist in Washington, D.C., during which time she won nine Emmy Awards and three Edward R. Murrow Awards for daily reporting, investigative reporting, and feature reporting. This may have been the second or third interview I did when I first started Time for Coffee in early 2018. And back then, I hadn't yet figured out how I wanted to refer to all of you, to my community of young listeners, who I now obviously call Java Junkies. 
and I hadn't yet figured out a formula or a flow to these interviews. There were no espresso shots, and I wasn't asking my guests to think about things like the advice they'd give themselves if they could go back to college and do it all over again. One last note, you may also be able to hear a dog making some noises in the background. That's because I did this interview in Beth's lovely home, which she shares with her son and her wife. I began our caffeinated career conversation fueled by sun tea that Beth had brewed before I arrived by asking Beth to talk about her job as PWC's firm-wide external communications leader. I travel for about maybe one week out of the month total. So sometimes I'm prepping executives maybe to give a speech. When things happen in the news, we're reacting to that because in the business world, we're sort of thought leaders about a lot of things. So for example, when DACA is in the news, I'm creating a plan. Like, what does this mean for our employees? And so when Me Too is in the news, we're thinking about it from a people perspective because I do everything people related. Our CEO, Tim Ryan, talks a lot about diversity. So people come to us regularly. So I talk to reporters, not that I'm talking on the record, but I'm arranging for our executives to speak to journalists about all kinds of things. And then also thinking about what should we be talking about proactively instead of just waiting for folks to come to us. Sometimes it's an interview about a benefit and then sometimes somebody will be a subject matter expert. So I work from home five days a week. So we have amazing flexibility at PwC. So the woman Wait, who talks- Five days? Five so, days so a week. You yes. work from home. So our whole team works from home. So there are 28 people on the overall team and I manage the firm-wide side of it. Everybody works from home. So we've got like three people in Los Angeles, somebody in Seattle, a couple people in Chicago, Boston, a lot in New York, and then several here in DC. So and how does that work? How does that, especially for the people that you're managing, to yep. have them all be indifferent? Yes. So if you're managing people, I think it's trickier from a coaching perspective, right? Because there are these moments where if you were in an office, you would literally like spin your chair around, right? And say, watch what I'm about to do or listen to this conversation or take a look at this, which you can't do when you don't all work together. So you have to work harder at coaching people. And we have very much have a coaching culture with a lot of like, we call it real time feedback, right? Where you literally say to somebody, here's some real-time feedback. I think you did a great job with this thing and here is the part of the project that you might have done differently. And so we try to do that and that's harder to do when you're managing people who don't sit where you sit. I will tell you that I absolutely love working from home and as you know, I'm wearing my slippers right now. I take my son to school in the morning and if I'm in town and then boom, you just get right to work. So it's amazing, like from a productivity level, I think people have the perception that people who work from home do less. And I find it to be just the opposite, actually. It's been really interesting to me. And I talk to people about it a lot now because we have a woman at PwC, her her title is people innovation leader. So she's constantly following like trends and figuring out like what makes our people happy, right? How do we keep our staff? Because when you have 50,000 employees, turnover costs you a fortune. And so she has actually trained me to be really upfront about my flexibility. I would normally have hidden this stuff. So now if I'm in line, if I'm in the carpool line at school, I will say to everyone who's on the conference call, I'm in the carpool line at school. You might hear my son get in the car because her thing is that all this stuff needs to be destigmatized. That we're never all going to have flexibility until people acknowledge that it's not a bad thing. And so I routinely now will say I'm walking out of my boot camp at the gym at noon. 
given what I did in my previous line of work as a journalist, I had to be on the scene of things. And so I literally walked out of a newsroom. I quit my job, walked out of a newsroom on Thursday where I was on the scene of a house fire or at the city council meeting. And I was in a live truck with a photographer all day, walked out of that on Thursday, Monday morning, walked into PwC where I was working from home in my basement by myself. So huge leap. So let's let's get to that in a minute. But before I do, I want to talk with you about how any of our listeners who might be considering a career at PwC could figure out what would make them the most competitive for entry-level positions. Like if you're just coming out of college, what are the opportunities that might might be available? So every year, about half the people we hire are experienced hires, somebody who's been in the workforce, and then the other half are campus hires. We hire about... 16,000 people every year if you include interns. Lots and lots of interns. And about 90% of our interns end up getting hired. Uh Uh, And so that's a key thing for people in college to look for internships and look pretty early. What are the majors that you think are kind of a must-have? Still hire tons of accountants. And then also from a client facing perspective, there's a ton of interest in STEM folks. Anybody who has any kind of experience and we hire a ton of STEM majors now, which people don't, we're not traditionally seen. Yes. Engineers. And then data science is huge, right? And it doesn't just mean that you're a data scientist, but from an HR perspective, I mean, some of the consulting work that we do is helping other companies use data to figure out who's the best person to hire. I'm down to two candidates. There's Andrea, there's Beth. How do I use data to figure out which one of them is most like the people who've succeeded here? Companies are having to figure that out, right? So if you're an HR person, maybe you're not a data scientist, but you have to use data to get better at your job, basically. When I think about STEM and that experience, it it could well be somebody client-facing who's working on a client engagement, but it could also be somebody in internal firm services. So, because you're talking about HR, you're talking about marketing, all these folks are using some STEM skills and some data science skills. What is it like working at PwC? The benefits are fantastic. And again, coming from a news perspective, the firm closes for 10 days over the holidays. So my first year, I was like, after coming from a place where I had to like beg to get Christmas day off, I was like, wait, where did everyone go? We're closing for 10 days? (laughs) You know, when you go on vacation, everyone's still emailing you and calling you. The first year that I was at PwC two years ago, I had 10 days off and I got two emails. And they were both from reporters who had requests for interviews, one of whom wanted to talk about our 10-day holiday break. There are some really great benefits like that. And I mentioned kind of the transition time and just there's a lot of innovation and thought that goes into it. So I appreciate that. And then just bigger picture from a culture perspective, it is fascinating to be in a place that's all about coaching. And, you know, when you work in a newsroom, it's just boom, right? Like the five o'clock news is coming. It's a freight train coming down the tracks. And, and now it's exacerbated by the fact that 
you're responding online to things and doing social media. So you're just on deadline all day and there's no time to sit around and discuss leadership or how to coach somebody well. It just does not just happen. just telling you you're a fucking moron. You missed your slot, right? <laughs> that might be it at 5.05. So it's interesting just to be in a place where people are talking about like, what does it mean to be a leader and how do you define that? Again, our chief people officer who does a lot of interviews for us always says, if you were going to teach somebody to play the violin, you wouldn't sit across the room and watch them for a year and then in December walk over to their chair and tell them what they're doing wrong or what they're doing well, right? You would give them this real-time feedback all along. So how did you get the, how did you find the job at PwC? So the only things I had ever done were I had worked at the Dairy Queen. I had worked in the Office of Residential Life at Ithaca College where I went to school and I had been a reporter. So I was like, hmm, what do I do with this ice cream, Xeroxing, journalism (laughs) thing that I have going on here. I initially, when I knew that I wanted to leave journalism after years, I was a reporter for 17 years here in DC and prior to that in some other markets around the country. And so I at first was like very quietly looking around for a job and that lasted for just a few months. And I went, Ooh, this isn't the way to approach this. Right. But because I was on TV and I was a journalist, I didn't want it to get around town or back to my bosses that I was considering leaving. I then realized I need to be, to cast a wider net and really use the connections that I had and the people that I knew to figure out what I wanted to do next. So I sent a note to a whole bunch of strangers or a whole bunch of friends, I should say, and said, introduce me to a stranger. Introduce me to somebody I don't know who you think is smart and interesting. That's what the note said. And people did. And so I had coffee with 42 strangers. And then I got hired by a woman I already knew from my son's preschool. So you never know how these things are going to work out. But I have no regrets because I learned, well, I know you. And then I, and I actually made a number of friends over of course across that process. And then I also just met all these really interesting people. And I would say of the 42 coffees, truly like maybe two were duds. And everything else was just really fascinating. So you were a journalist for 17 years. I was a journalist for in, in D.C. for 17 years, but oh. 20 years... Oh, okay. So we were journalists then for about the same amount of time. And you studied journalism. So you knew. I did. That was your major. Yep. I was a political science minor and a journalism major. And so you knew at college that that's what you wanted to do. I did. I knew when I was a little kid that I wanted to be a reporter. I was this, I grew up in this little tiny town and we had an afternoon newspaper. And so I would like come home from school and be super excited waiting for the newspaper to come. Pre-internet, obviously. Now the newspaper comes all day long. My parents still have this little uh, job application, something I filled out when I was like, I think I was nine or something like that. And it was basically a fake job application that you had to do in school and you could pick what the job was. And I put reporter. So So how did you, you know, Did you have extracurricular activities when you were in college that were related to the field? I did. In high school, I was was the editor of the Sealands Grove High School newspaper in Sealands Grove, Pennsylvania. Go Seals, the Sealands Grove Seals, for alliteration's sake. And then in college, I worked for ICTV, Ithaca College Television. Yeah, and we went out and did, uh, we didn't get paid, but we went out and did real stories, right? So I went to the city council.
council meeting and I would go talk to the mayor and uh, and we would do stories. And then several days a week, we had these newscasts. So it was amazing preparation. And then I was an intern. I entered at a local TV station in Pennsylvania, interned at that same newspaper after my freshman year of college. The and the afternoon. I, yeah, the afternoon, the daily item in Sunbury, Pennsylvania. And in that case, it was, they had us fill in. So if you were an intern who was pretty competent, they would just send you out. So like if the police reporter was off on vacation that week, as people are on, in the summer, you were the police reporter for the week or you were... So I got to write stories and have like actual bylines in this daily newspaper, which covers four counties in central Pennsylvania. So when you graduated, you were set. I mean, you had so much more experience than the average person would. Yes, I did have a lot because I knew exactly what I wanted to do. So then I drove around and told news directors that I was in town, air quotes, which I really wasn't, but uh, well, I was to the extent that I was coming to see them. Yes. And at that time you had the videotape, right? Versus sending somebody a link to your resume. So I drove my tape around and then a couple of people helped me. I'm a huge believer in networking and, and believe in it even more now than I did then. And so a couple of people I knew had worked at this station in Harrisonburg, Virginia, It's about two hours from DC. I got a job there. And so I was a reporter and anchor. And then I jumped around as people do in local news, as you know, from having done it. So I went from Harrisonburg, Virginia to Wilmington, North Carolina, uh, which is great living at the beach. Had a lot of roommates, as one does when they have a local TV news salary right out of school. And so I went from Wilmington, North Carolina to Greensboro, Winston-Salem, High Point, that area. And then I went to Baltimore from there and from Baltimore to DC. And this is an interesting thing that I think you learn after you've been around the block, right? That the things that you think you want aren't necessarily the things you will always want, right? And that you'll evolve and have different priorities. And I think the news business had changed a lot. And I tried to sort of attach myself to kind of positive stories or stories where I could affect change. But as staffs, you know, and there weren't as many people. I mean, there's just certain things that you have to cover. And so that could be challenging. And then I also, at that point, having a child and realizing that I was basically taking a vacation day to go to his 20-minute parent-teacher conference because there was no way for me to guarantee I could be there otherwise. Because for people who don't, haven't worked in a newsroom, especially in TV, where you physically have to be on the scene of everything, you know, you come in at nine o'clock in the morning, walk into an editorial meeting, and for me in DC, I might be in Annapolis, or I might be in downtown DC all day, or I might be two hours away in Richmond, and you didn't know until the day of. The flexibility that I needed as a parent just was not available. Uh, and it wasn't like there was a discussion going on and that was around the corner, right? It was not something that was happening. Happening. What were the bits that most people don't get to see that you think are important for them to be aware of if they're considering a job in journalism, a career in journalism? So I think there's an extraordinary amount of stress that people just 
don't necessarily see because I think if you're the person whose face is on the air, they sort of see you in that moment of total control and you've got your lipstick on and you're good to go, right? And so I think people think it's much more glamorous than it is. And there's just a lot, like people, I still have friends who would say to me, so on the days where there's nothing going on, do you just get the day off? And I'm like, no, those are the really horrible days, right? <laughs> you because really you're just grinding, like story. trying to find. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, still have X number of minutes to fill. Yes, exactly. I had a woman at PwC who used to just constantly ask me, like, she couldn't understand why I would ever leave the news business and, like, what was I doing at PwC? And she would always ask me over and over that same question. And then one day I told her, you know, like, women who are TV news reporters, they pump breast milk at the scene of murders, like, in a live truck. And she was like, oh... And she never asked me again. And it's like a sort of a harsh reality. But I think that people just have no idea. Like there are literally times when like you're in a live truck somewhere and you can't go pee. The first snowstorm that we had after I left news, because I would work these really long hours standing in the snow. I said to my partner, now my wife, I said, you know, so-and-so was recommending this great sledding hill and we should take our son there when it snows. And she said... We go to that sledding hill every time it snows. And I was like, it was really a wake up call for me. Like I have missed every snow day. He's now 10 and he was eight at that time. And I had missed every snow day. Now in hindsight, and you mentioned you were looking for a job for a couple of years to, to transition out of journalism. Yep. In hindsight, do you think there are things or skills or whatnot that you could have been honing that a person who decides, ah, you know what, I'm going to be a journalist no matter what, no matter what Beth and Andrea would say. And, yep. I, and, I, and yep. actually, I and by the way, I had a great say. time. Absolutely. And I'm, many I'm, I'm making a bad joke there because I do think that journalism is a phenomenal career and wouldn't want to dissuade anyone who is really determined to go into it. Passionate about it. Absolutely. About it. And I love the people. But what skills or, or things that you, in hindsight, think, gosh, it would have been nice or just advice to others that you could offer mm -hmm. that they could be doing while they're working as a journalist to make a potential transition easier. I think that one of the great gifts of journalism is that it teaches you how to get stuff done. And that is a phenomenal skill that makes you really marketable. And even if people can't see it, if you can't demonstrate it in a job interview, they will immediately see it if you're working for them. There are people who just can't do that. Like close the deal, make it happen, work on a deadline and knock something out. So I think that's a great gift that you leave journalism with. What I didn't have is what I call the office people stuff. And so like I literally had never sent someone a calendar invitation. And so I remember when, when I first got to PwC, I went on this work trip and I'd only been there a few days and I was in Chicago and my boss called me and she said, what are you doing? And I said, ah, actually I am sitting in my hotel room watching a YouTube video about how to track changes in a Word doc because I had no idea. You were I had so never smart to do that. I don't know if the how-to videos were up and running 11 years ago when I made my transition. Mm-hmm. 
But I remember that same thing when somebody was like, just send me your track changes. I'm like, like, you're what? What? No idea what that is. No idea. And people who've only worked in offices find this hilarious. My boss thought this was hysterical, (laughs) right? So I call these the office people things. And they still crop up periodically. I've picked up on a lot of it. But every now and then there'll be some little thing where I'm like, I actually don't know how to do that. That's sort of an office-y thing. As strange as it sounds, I have given that advice to a number of journalists. Like, learn how to do that stuff. And now everything's Google at PwC, so we're working in Google Docs and that you can share and collaborate. The other thing I would say is just writing. And I know it's sort of an old story, right? But there are tons of people in the working world who can't write. I love to write. I just think that if you can get that skill and hone that skill, it's a differentiator. particular kind of writing skill? You know, I think if you can write, you can write. That's my opinion. Other people may not agree about that. Do you think it's more, and I used this with someone else before, but like more James Joyce or Hemingway? (laughs) You know, I just think storytelling is, it's about writing and now it's about social media and visuals, but you still have to be able to write and to kind of weave a tale, right? So that's what you get. I mean, both those guys were pretty good at that. And so I just think having that skill, whether you are like a creative writing major in college and you write that kind of thing, or whether you're writing about the city council or a new piece of legislation on the hill or whatever it is, if you're a good writer, you're a good writer. And part of it is transporting people, right? And making them feel like they're there. Do you think journalism is a career that is um, conducive to diverse lifestyles? I actually feel like it's a benefits issue, but it's also a culture issue, right? So if you are, if you want health insurance for your domestic partner who you're not married to, which was a a much bigger deal in the past, right? Because for years I couldn't legally be married to Holly. So she was on my health insurance. And a lot of people have to fight for that, for the right just to have somebody they're not married to on their insurance. So there are benefits like that. And like at PwC, we have surrogacy benefits and we have LGBTQ couples using those benefits to have a child. And that's the other thing, by the way, that I love about this transition time, this working 60% of the time, it's for men and women. So all the reporters were like, wait, so it's just for the person who gave birth, right? And it's like, no, it's for everybody. And, And that's intentional, the idea of like, trying to sort of change the mindset about how we think about parenting, whose job it is, whether you're an LGBTQ person or whether it's something about race or ethnicity. I think that you want to be in a culture that truly makes everybody feel like they belong. It's about inclusiveness. I have felt incredibly welcome as a gay person at PwC, and I have been surprised at how welcome I feel. Some of that is that I'm on a great, really supportive team, but I'll tell you a couple of quick stories. One is that when the Orlando shooting happened, an executive of ours, who is a heterosexual guy, sent me a note that said, I just wanted to acknowledge this horrible attack on the LGBTQ community and wanted you to know that I'm thinking of you. This guy's the chief people officer of PwC. Busy guy. Because a lot of you might think about it, but the fact that he sent the note was really meaningful to me. My boss, the one I mentioned earlier from the pizza place, I saw a Wall Street Journal article that Stanford's business school was doing an LGBTQ executive leadership program. I had worked at PwC for, I don't know, maybe six or eight months or something. And I sent this Wall Street Journal article as a joke, basically, haha, wouldn't it be funny if I went to this thing? And she wrote back three minutes later and said, you should go and we'll pay for it and give you the week off. And I was like, what? 
So, and what was this? It's, this is the first business school in the country with an LGBTQ executive ed program. So it's run out of the Stanford Business School. And so I spent a week there and doing design thinking and it had an amazing opportunity just to network with all these other LGBTQ people. Highly recommend it to anybody listening. You have to have about 10 years of work experience to apply. Amazing opportunity. And then the other story I will tell you just about the culture and the kind of culture that you want to work in as a gay person is that last year we got married after having been together for 19 years, 18 years, sorry. I posted a picture on Facebook. We got married on Friday and little tiny wedding. On Monday morning, I went to a meeting in New York and I walked into this meeting and there were probably 15 people in the meeting, most of whom I did not know. Some of them were from our global team. And I walked into this meeting and there's a woman who I obviously didn't know sitting there with a wedding present for me because she had seen it on Facebook. So I'm sitting in this room with 15 people, most of whom I don't know. I felt so welcome in that setting. And I think that that's a culture issue. When you get a room full of people like that, like you've created something special. And I have to be honest, uh, that is more welcoming this 160 year old firm, I think, than I felt in the journalism world. And people have this perception that it's like very liberal and, and there are plenty of liberal people in, in journalism. There are plenty of conservative folks as well, but there's something different about that kind of culture being created. There's something different going on there that people might not expect from a company that's been around for 160 years, right? How do you know? I mean, did you learn anything about this in the executive program about how younger people can navigate this world? You know, I think one of the things I walked away from in that Stanford program was a renewed sense of responsibility that I have, right, to mentor people. And uh, it's kind of parallels sort of this this idea of destigmatizing flexibility. I throw around the wife thing all the time now, and I do it with intention. So if somebody says, and, and truly, and I joke about this, but it is a Probably every other week, someone asks me about my husband, still. And it's a stranger, right, who doesn't know, a ring ring on, and yeah. And so people just assume, it just happened to me in a cab, um, and I posted it on Facebook. Yeah, and it's so interesting, because I think, I try to like really be very upfront about it, because I think I have less to lose than somebody who is somebody right out of college who might be more nervous about it. And so I really do say, well, my wife, and boom, 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 and then just go on with the conversation. And some people are a little shocked, and plenty of people roll with it, I don't know what they say behind my back afterwards. That's very intentional for me now. And even just like posting family pictures and things like that. I just, I do it with intention because I think I want people to see, you know, that... That this is normal and this yeah, is... Yeah, we're here, folks. that yep. is part of our life yep. as communities. Yep. And I think it's the way you kind of chip away at the haters, right? Slowly, one at a time, winning people over. It's all progress. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.